This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. One of the pillars of integrating psychedelics is exploring the relationship we have with death. This is a matter of integrating the reality of death, death in general, and your death in particular, into your experience of living. Integrating death as a part of the larger integration of your work with psychedelics is ultimately a spiritual preparation. There is no fundamental difference between the preparation for death and the practice of dying. Stan Groff has wisely said, and spiritual practice leading to enlightenment. We believe humanity's intention in the universe is to embody the experience of understanding, compassion, kindness, peace with the unknown, and ultimately, unconditional love, and going forth to share it. Enlightenment is what happens when there is nothing left to grasp, nothing left to fear, nothing but love. There may still be questions, but there is no grasping for answers. There is awareness. If you open the cracks in awareness, there is love. Valeria interviews Dr. Ryan Westrom, the author of The Psychedelics Integration Handbook. Ryan Westrom, PhD, MA, works as a psychedelic integration therapist in the Twin Cities of Minnesota and through video conference internationally. His primary focus is working with individuals integrating non-ordinary state experiences for healing and personal transformation. He is also the host of The Psychedelic Psychologist Podcast. Ryan frequently works with people who are dealing with addiction, anxiety, depression, mental illness, stress, trauma, and end-of-life care. Ryan is available for speaking engagements on a myriad of topics and leads experiential groups like dream work therapy and psychedelic integration groups and develops psychedelic integration plans with people through therapy and coaching. Ryan graduated from the University of Minnesota with a degree in psychology followed by a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Adler Graduate School. He received his doctoral degree in transpersonal psychology from Sophia University. Ryan is a registered integration therapist for Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS. He is a practicing therapist in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he lives with his wife, two daughters, and a son. Meet Dr. Ryan at HealingSoulsLLC.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Ryan Westrom. In your own words, who is Ryan Westrom? That's a magical question, and I thank you for it. I am a seeker. Uh, individual and spirit that feels called to transparency, authenticity, and an expression of love. And really, in 
expression to be witnessing others in their expression and seeking and search for authenticity. Ever since I was little, I've always been just a curious wanderer and uh, people trying to keep me on my rails. <laughs> Can <laughs> so you imagine? <laughs> I also am one of those ones that loves to push the energies and the envelope. So that is that is who I am at this moment. When you say seeker, what are you seeking to find? I am seeking to find a place that feels safe, that gives me form to flow in this life, to be open to experiences, to witness others in their light, as well as to really harness an opportunity to find a place to exist amongst each other and meet each other for who they are. I have noticed that, of course, with myself and so many people that I am around and in contact with, the safety is very, very important. What brings us to that safe space? What are the components of safety? For me, it's um, important to acknowledge the external safety as well as an internal safety within oneself. That leads into being discerning of what one needs. So for me, and I can only speak for myself, but I offer it to my clients, is this idea of what is emotionally aligned with you, what is physically feeling comfortable with you, and what are the cognitive thoughts that are reassuring you? Because it, I think, amplifies your intuition then by aligning those three emotional, physical, and the cognitive our spiritual or our intuitive body comes online that much stronger. And then it provides us with safety and everybody's safety is different, right? But you have to know it within yourself then to be able to like examine it outside of yourself. I love the way you answer that question too, because it's very individual, right? What feels unsafe for some people, like in my case, I'm very attracted to the unknown. And I have put myself in a lot of situations where well, they became dangerous at some point, but it's incredible how much I have learned from them. It's almost like it was life doing it, not me. Oh, I mean, I am life. <laughs> anyway, that's how I feel. Like, I, I am life. I don't have a life. Is that the goal of healing, of personal healing, to find that safe space? I think it's um, an entry point for personal healing. I think it's the foundation for personal healing where we can observe safety, which will hopefully then propel us into a seeking, a seeking of wholeness. So for me, the purpose of healing is seeking wholeness, seeking confidence within self in the expression of love and compassion and humility, all the while having that almost foundation of safety to compel us into these explorations of, as you said so eloquently, putting ourselves in positions that might not necessarily be comfortable or certain or confident. Yeah. And I have found this to be very true for some reason. It's almost like uh, life is very playful. Oh, intuition has this playful side to it. Um, it doesn't show us all the way, let's say the end of the road, 
but it tends to illuminate just one mile at a time. And that has been my experience. It's a very, it's a fascinating one. What I wonder personally, I have been curious about all this inner exploration for all my life. When I was very young, I remember it's seven years old, oh, about that age. I remember looking at myself in the mirror and asking, oh, you are back, but in a new body now, in a female body. So that kind of guided my life in a sense of uh, exploring the unknown, the spiritual realms, the, the invisible, because nobody had ever taught me anything about spirituality when I was young, and I already had those thoughts. Now it has been that exploration of being open to life as much as I can, uh, while still feeling safe, but I don't know why, but I can help myself, but see that safety won't get me there. I won't be able to see what I, I must see by trying to perhaps always look for comfort or, or feeling safe. What I love about what you're saying is that you, it's it's almost contradicting sometimes. I mm. think you've evoked something in me as I'm listening to you, which I resonate, which is contradiction. Yes. Like healing is contradicting. Healing is questioning. Healing is also finding answers. And I often would say to what you're suggesting is exploring and knowing when to surrender. So there's an ample desire to explore, but also know humbly when it's time to back off and surrender to what is the witness, to what is the source or to what is unanswerable or unquestionable. Yes. Oh, I love that you said that. That's the word, yeah, the paradox, the contradiction. The more I explore this, what we call life, the more I just hit that dead end in a way of contradiction right. and paradoxes. And then it comes surrender, right? Acceptance, letting go, just staying here present to what is present. Uh, so let's see. As I mentioned off record, I love the name of your website, healingsoulsllc.com. The word that caught my attention is the word soul. What is the soul to you and how do you heal a soul? That's a really remarkable question and it pauses me. I transparently found and thought of the name through a non-ordinary state experience. I didn't know what it meant. And so when you directly ask me, what is a soul? I think it's the answer I've been seeking to tie in the beginning of our conversation as a seeker. It's a wondering of what it is. What is the word? What is the embodiment experience of a soul? And how does one heal it? So synchronistically, all these questions you're asking me are really formulating for me. Healing a soul is the seeking, the exploration, the reconciling. And most importantly, the honoring of this incarnation of life, this moment that we have, this embodied experience that we have needs healing, be it from past lives to this lifetime. And, you know, the fact that we are a soul can be questioned or argued. But for me, there's no argument because of what I've experienced in my life and lives before. This is my soul. And so maybe to answer it a little bit more directly, helping people reconnect to it. Healing is a reconnection to themselves, their soul, their spirit, or whatever word they'd prefer to place on it. 
Uh, yes, a thousand times, <laughs> a billion times to that answer. So another question I have, the one of my initial questions about the obstacles to healing. What comes to mind when you think about that? The first thing that comes to mind that I see on a daily basis is power and control. One of the largest obstacles that I witness on a daily basis is holding on to the reins with a death grip and saying, I need to be in control of this journey. I need to be in control of the expression of my healing. And I don't want it to be questioned, which is, again, paradoxical to what healing needs to be, which is a surrendering of sorts and honoring of sorts and a witnessing of all the traumas, all the positives, all the elations. Another thing that I think is a very big obstacle in healing is thinking that there's a refined answer. I call it the mining of the why. So rather than mining the, the why, we should be looking at what, how, where, when, and just really inversing the question. Yeah, now you paused me. <laughs> mining the why's right. It just makes so much sense. I have to say that. Um, yeah. And I wonder what part of me it makes sense to. It seems like all parts of me. Another question is about freedom. What do you feel freedom is? If there's a destination for this journey that we call life, what would that be? Mm. What a fruitful question in that freedom can bring so much loaded energy, right? So much freedom immediately provides this ask of what are we offering? What are we capable of? What is open to us? And many people don't have that privilege or luxury. So for me, freedom actually brings a sense of sorrow and grief that not everyone has this opportunity, be it spiritually or be it materialistically or any kind of expression of this human embodiment. It's a, it's a question that actually, ironically, right now is bringing a lot of sorrow and grief to know that not everyone has the same capacity to be free and have the tools or access to be able to have such fruitful conversations like you and I are having today. I wonder why some of us get to experience these um, beautiful moments and some of us don't. What have you come up with? What have you thought of? How do you make sense of that question? Uh, I don't actually. I mean, I have been wondering for so long <laughs> that now it's, I don't wonder anymore. And then what I do is I trust. It has become trust, it transformed into trust. I just trust life. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And then from that, it, it seems like in this moment, um, freedom to me means trust and then inner peace. They all interconnected in mm -hmm. love too. So by trusting life, then freedom presents itself and allows me to have this sense of inner peace and then allow me to love and unconditionally. And maybe that's the answer to that question to myself. <laughs> I think it's an acknowledgement of what you're saying that I agree with. In the source of freedom also comes a reminder that you can't put your own barriers on it or mm. yeah. shame yourself or feel guilty about the expression of this embodied experience. I often talk a lot about that with people is the invitation that you're receiving is yours uniquely to you. And if you feel 
guilty about the expression of this life for you that we have to look at that that is your deserving freedom at this moment and we we have to know what is ours to carry and what is someone else's to carry ah uh, that's such a challenge thing to do for me has been to create boundaries mm -hmm. When yes. I see people suffering around me and not to embody their suffering <laughs> and they suffer too. So that has been a tough one. I would love for you to um, give me some of your suggestions. It would be very helpful, I believe, not just for myself, but so many people out there who are struggling with this. As it relates to the boundaries that we set and the insulation that we provide ourselves with, as we are empaths or people that walk in the world with so much heart, my request is not to shut the light down, not to dampen the light, not to dim it, but really it's a wonderful opportunity to amplify the light of love. And I say the wordplay, love leads, not lead with love, but rather let love lead you to that freedom of expression. And it then becomes without being disrespectful or self-centered, the other person's obligation that if they want to be a part of that expression or if they want to be curious of you in that expression, I can't walk with their suffering all day long or else I would be <laughs> yes. locked in a corner shaking in the bottom For of sure. the room, right? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yes. Lovely said. Let love lead. Yeah. Ah, yes, it has been a, another journey, I would say, <laughs> to get to that point. But it's interesting. Everything seems to be a process in a way. We become ready to see what we are supposed to see in each moment. It's, that is so it really true. It feels that way. It really does. Well, and you use the term process, which I adore and love and have made most of my latest part of my career on, which is integrating. So if we don't see it, as bringing it into the practical or the everyday life, we're, we're not healing. We're, we're ignoring and disassociating. We can all walk around with rose-colored glasses, and I hope that's not how I'm coming across. As abundant as love that I shower people with, I'm still very practical in the sense that I have to integrate my day-to-day -day life. As Jack Cornfield would say, is there's still laundry after the ecstasy, right? <laughs> yes, you, you, a lot of you, <laughs> you have to still understand this is a real world thing we're living in. Mm, yes. And this is a perfect moment to ask you another question. <laughs> so how did you become a psychedelic integration therapist? The short story is that at nine years old, the moon started following me. And as a young little boy, I started listening to the dynamics of the emotional expression of the moon. And some would say that that might sound like a psychotic break, but what it really was, similar to your invitation sitting in front of the mirror, was an acceptance, was an acceptance of the invitation of this path. And at 12 years old, at a very young age, I had a clandestine experience with some older people that provided me uh, psilocybin mushrooms. And by the sake of the source and the higher spirits protected me and led me down a path personally that evoked and taught me many different things that I owe my life to, which at this moment I call the sacrament. And then 
I just started to realize that people need to be able to ground this work. And I followed the classical clinical practice, became a family marriage therapist, worked in the realm of getting my master's, but all the while was helping consciously or unconsciously and humbly enough, it was probably very unconscious and I was just doing what I knew best, holding space for people, providing direction, amplifying um, support and teaching them guidance. And then um, all of a sudden there was a new renaissance and everybody was talking about it. And I had been doing it since I was like pretty young. And comically enough, I decided to write a book for my younger self called the Psychedelics Integration Handbook and just actively do things for people and just answer the call that they had, which was question after question and show up for them. So to be transparent, there was no roadmap. And when people asked me what was the roadmap to get there, uh, it was long, hard, full of suffering, a lot of crying and a lot of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, the combination of everything. Perfectly said. So talk to me a bit more about the book, the Psychedelics Integration Handbook. It's very rich and has so much to teach us. It's a guide, really. It's very interesting, the timing, you see, that's why I really trust life with everything. So I am in the process of becoming a integration coach. For some reason, it has been a calling for me. It has been, let me see how long now, about three months. I came across, I think I interviewed somebody here, and then he was an integration coach. And then it's just caught my attention in the sense of uh, almost being drawn to it. Like, why not? And now I'm meeting you today to talk exactly about this. This is the integration, psychedelics integration topic. I guess I want to know a little bit more about your intention when it comes to psychedelics. Is this something for everyone? Not just the use of psychedelics, but also becoming somebody that could help others integrating uh, their experiences. That's a beautiful question. And I first want to offer gratitude and thanks for acknowledging the book and having the time here to talk about it. It's an intimate subject matter. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you, Ryan. The topic is highly charged. And so when I hear you say, is it for everybody? And is being an integration coach, integration therapist, or someone that provides support? It is not. And I have to preface for asking for permission before forgiveness it's not for everybody and I don't want to sound like a pessimist and or an elitist because I do it. I was invited into this world and I believe everybody needs to witness the invitation and it's for theirs to make their own, be it exploring psychedelics at 60 or falling into it at 15. The individual needs to know that it's a, it's a really moving point that you have to have support, you have to have trust, you have to have safety, you have to have courage. And it's not for the faint of heart. Once it's done, I often say, 
metaphorically, that toothpaste cannot be put back in the toothpaste okay. container. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for laughing because yeah. it's the most obvious metaphor I can use. The minute you squeeze that toothpaste out, be it, use psychedelics or engage in it, there's no turning back. And that's not to say it's a bad thing, but it's something you have to walk with sacredness and reverence. It is a calling. I love the way you also phrase that, an invitation. You also host a podcast titled The Psychedelic Psychologist Podcast. Do you interview uh, psychedelic therapists like yourself or people no, who have No, that's a great question. So it's people that have had experiences, which is they're talking about making sense of what their journey is and offering it in a psychoeducated manner offering it within the realm of harm reduction. So presenting these stories to the world to be able to foster a deeper understanding for someone like you said that might be curious about using psychedelics, might need to know more information of what the ramifications are, the opportunities, the hopes, the availabilities to the healing as these medicines provide. And so the podcast is similarly designed to the Psychedelic Integration Handbook as a guide or a resource of reassurance, as a provider of a colorful picture for people to go, oh, I can resonate with that individual, or I can really identify with why they did it. At the end of the day, I'm attempting to build community with people that have never met each other, a sense of reassurance and belonging. Because using psychedelics as a healing tool, as popular as it is today, is still very isolating and very individually driven. It's not to be speaking about and being like using it as, you know, your flag of ego, right? It's something that Sometimes people are still trying to develop and that's what the podcast is really for is an opportunity to just give perspective and guidance. Yes, I love that too. That's another beautiful platform or beautiful you. offering you have, Ryan. And you just spoke about the ego. I would love to hear more about that because recently I have been exposed to a, a very different idea of what the ego is or how it needs to be let's say, addressed, that really opened my heart and my mind. Somebody said, the ego is a baby, so it needs to be nurtured, it needs to be cared for, not killed. So mm. that caught my attention too. <laughs> it made sense. So That's magical. I would love to piggyback off of the idea of fostering the ego as a way to nurture, a way to acknowledge a way, I think, to provide guidance. And if we could, you know, as a father of a one-year-old and at the same time, a father of a 17-year-old and a seven-year-old, I need to always <laughs> also keep them in contained. Yeah, right, <laughs> so right. if we're going to keep the metaphor of it as a child or an infant, my ego needs to be checked. Mm, <laughs> and yes. I will be the first one sure. to say that I do not need anything to be identified. And I think it, for me personally, when that question arises, it's an idea to really cultivate what is the relationship of self? What is the relationship of my spirit? What do I have as opportunity? But also know that when is it becoming a little bit um, non-serving? 
if my ego is not serving me, I should probably take a look. With that in mind, for some of us, I know we have different ideas of what the ego is. I want to be very basic. <laughs> so yeah. how would you describe what the ego is? It's part of our personality? Is that something that we carry from lifetimes to lifetimes? Yeah, well, I think as someone that is not necessarily trained in the most eloquent way of expressing the ego because I've seen it manifest in so many different ways, I love the idea of it being self-preserving. I think the ego has, if we're talking about it in this material world of our body, our safety, our sense of security, our sense of identity, it's self-preserving. It's designed to preserve. If we have an ego death, as someone may say in psychedelics or in some spiritual emergence, it, it, it can derail us from living this lifetime. On the contrary, I believe the ego can also become a way of what you just said, our personality, our identity, our sense of direction, our sense of purpose. I think when it becomes tragic and maybe overly consumed is when we're overexposing ourselves to things that are not serving the betterment of the larger community or the collective consciousness. I think if we're getting in the way of trying to do it for self-seeking purposes rather than our collective consciousness or the universe, that's when the ego could get in the way. What is spirituality to you these days, Ryan? <laughs> I have to la I laugh at myself after we come off of the ego question. It's spirituality, and I say this, <laughs> I am like the largest spiritual contradiction in the entire planet. So I'm going to take, <laughs> yeah. at one point I used to call myself a spiritual kamikaze where yeah. I would just <laughs> go into a spiritual practice <laughs> and just try to absorb it. And then I rightfully and humbly was like, okay, this is just me like trying to absorb information. And it became known. Spirituality to me is pure. Spirituality to me is acceptance. Spirituality to me is infallible. It's beautiful to read ancient scriptures and texts. And spirituality to me today is curiosity. It's an ability to be safe in the wonderment of not knowing. And using spiritual texts or spiritual rhythms or, or dare I say, the you know, faux pas, the religious connotation of spirituality as guideposts. I see nothing wrong with anything ancient that is way beyond me that is providing me at least a reference point. Right, Like a rock formation on the distance is it's giving me guidance to the true north or at least what feels right to me at this moment. Spirituality is wonderful. It's a, it's a dance I think we should have and not limit us to one particular construct. And I say that even as I am eloquently and deeply woven with psychedelics, if it doesn't serve me in two years or next month, and something else manifests, I have to listen to that mm. as a spiritual practice. Mm. Oh, wow. And I offer that to people. I would say, you said it beautifully, it's today. Spirituality is what's important today. It's another interesting paradox that life is change. So many, we see everything change. So 
I mean, we say life, life is change, but there is something that never changes here. And that's what I try to, let's say, to contemplate and more often than not, like what doesn't change here? And mm-hmm. what you said, it really makes a lot of sense, resonates true. It's um, curiosity that never, that never changes. It's always here. There's something that looks out and, and wonders what this, what we call tree, what is it? <laughs> yeah, it's just, and look at how amazing this is. I have no idea what it is, but it's, it looks beautiful. And when you say that, it resonates with me and it really reminds me of a uh, play on words for myself is the label is the label, the assigned meaning is what provides me reassurance. So when I talk about a knife is a knife, that's the label. And yet a knife can be assigned a different meaning for the purpose or intent. And I feel that's what spirituality is as well, is if we restrict ourselves to solely the label, we're confining the expression of what spirituality can be embodied emotionally, spiritually, sensually, physically, right? And so really focusing and harnessing on what is the assigned meaning for that word at the moment? Yes, at the moment, that's uh, that's the imperative word. That's the main word to me, <laughs> the main. I think it's a theme now. for today's conversation <laughs> we're having. It might yeah. be part of our golden thread. Right, who knows? <laughs> it goes back to that unknown, right? It feels guided. That's what it is, right? Like this conversation today, there's something about it that, I mean, of most of the conversations I have here, there's something about them that feels very spiritual. <laughs> I have to yeah. say that it feels very spiritual. Do you work with clients online and offline groups? Yes. Yeah, to paint a traditional day for me is I work both online um, with the advent of COVID and all the restrictions that came with it. Prior to that, I was already helping support people online. And then I also do in-group, in-person, individually. I run groups as well as individual therapy services. And it's really dynamic because even as you and I are dropping in, I've learned more and more that if we can allow ourselves to just feel into the energy, being in presence doesn't necessarily always have to happen. I don't know about your expression and experience with that, but for me, I've learned I'm becoming more and more comfortable just with the energetic exchange, be it in person or via this lovely digital device. So either way, it has been the same thing with me. It's almost like the integration, it goes back to that word, of this invisible energy world is everywhere. So everything is connected anyway. Truly. Right. So there's no separation. That's how I feel these days. It took a while and not just time, but also a lot of suffering, a lot of um, pain and all that. What I think also is valuable about online digital and in-person is it's the exchange of right spirits with each other alignment. If we contain ourselves to a 20 mile radius and expect that we're going to get the healer we need or the relationship safety and confidence and comfort that we want, that really is limiting. And what I always offer is I'm not for everybody, nor should any be anybody, nor should anybody be for anybody. And so if you find someone that 
is six states away that serves you and aligns with you, please, by all means, identify with them because there's an exchange that needs to be harnessed and really amplified. Again, it's listening to that wisdom within and just uh, trusting that inner guidance just to take True. you where you need to go or see what you must see or what we are ready to see, actually. It's fascinating how it's, this has becoming a lot more of a true thing for me. It's what am I ready to see here? I'm always asking this question when there's something that seems to be off in a sense of uh, being uncomfortable or unpleasant. I always ask that question, what am I ready to see? We're almost at the end and I have so many notes here that I made about your book. At the end of every chapter, you have an integration exercise and many of them. Of course, some of them I'm familiar with, uh, meditation, barefoot walking meditation, mandala. There is one that caught my attention. Two of them, of course, creating sacred space. That's one that I love too. You also talk about food. <laughs> That's integration exercise 11. So I'd love to hear from you about this exercise, integration exercise 11, food. Yeah. Thank you for acknowledging that. The exercises were designed for people to take on what feels right to them. One of the most important things about psychedelic integration is there's no wrong way to do it. People are left brain or right brain. And as you eloquently just said, there's certain exercises that we're familiar with. And I always encourage the familiarity to be the starting point. And then broaden our spectrum from there. The food exercise is designed for a multitude of reasons. First, it's an acknowledgement of slowing down and eating mindfully. Um, at one point in my life, in my spiritual kamikaze exploration, <laughs> I was <laughs> deeply involved in Zen and we would have silent sessions and long retreats and eat silently and it was some of the most magical and wondrous experiences ever, tasting every morsel, being present to eye-gazing other people at the table. And it became such an expression of intimacy that I wanted to instill it in this process because it redefines a connection. That exercise is amplifying and teaching people what it would look like and sound like to reconnect. Mm, yeah, so it is an, a reconnection exercise, right? Like every, yeah, and all the even at the are. beginning, I ask people to intentionally go to the grocery store or their market or farmer's market quietly and engage with all five senses. So that's another aspect of the exercises all across the board throughout this book is turning your five senses on and shutting down other senses and just starting to play. Part of this is, and I, I love our conversation today, but let's not forget, we don't need to be so serious. Mm, I always ask yes. the question, why so serious? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, we I can agree. laugh and also be like, oh, yeah, this is, this is an opportunity to breathe. And like, mm. and I know there's sad things going on in the world and I know there's suffering and I know people want to heal, but it's an endorsement of doing both. You can mm. do both. Yes, I agree. It's um, interesting to observe that 
reconnecting, and we put those two words together, reconnecting, healing. So healing, it's a reconnecting process. And then playfulness, it's part of that. It has been for me. Like every time I I become aware that something in me, it's in that process of reconnecting, then it becomes so much more fun, whatever it is that I'm doing or engaging sure. with. It's incredible. So I love what you just said about, yeah, this... Uh, reconnecting, being present, and being playful. And it's just playfulness it arises. That's what I see when I am in the process of reconnecting or connected, who knows? <laughs> Chapter 10 about addiction that really caught my attention. You asked some interesting questions. Are there any addictive qualities that you feel you have? So addiction is a very interesting topic anyway, in general, because it has a lot to do with the ego and um, uh, we become addicted to so many things. And then another one that really caught my attention was the chapter 12, Letting Go, Death, and the Ultimate Mystery. Yeah, well, I'm going to take the ultimate mystery as a closer for 400, please. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to just share the whole idea of this is a mystery and the beautiful conversations you and I are having and the conversations you have with clients or other is we have to really bow down to the humility that we have no answer. We can explore the answer, we can find security, we can find comfort, we can express ourselves in the mining of the why. But ultimately, what I love about it is this really exciting opportunity. And I often say to people, I had no clue where I was before I came here. I might have figments of the imagination of where I was. And I'm all too certain that that got me here, so I should trust where I'm going. And this last chapter was a closing statement of knowing you need to trust the process. You need to seek wholeness and go with it. How many times? How many yeses can I say to that? I guess I don't have to anymore. It's just... um, It feels true. It sounds true. It resonates true. Thank you so much for being you. I I really appreciate the space and it's it's a mutual gratitude. And I thank you for doing this. And it means a lot to be able to hear your story and share mine. Thank you for your presence here today. And where can we find more information about you, your work, your services, your books and future projects? Thank you so much. Um, At this moment, the website, as we eloquently said, is healing, S-O-U-L-S-L-L-C.com, healingsoulsllc.com. You can get my book either through my website or the small company we call Amazon, (laughs) the Psychedelics Integration (laughs) Handbook, and then hear wonderful stories of courage and transformation on the podcast, The Psychedelics psychologist. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Brian. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Ryan Westrom and his work, please visit healingsoulsllc.com. more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.